0: Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics.
1: All right, James, so do me a favor. Tell me what the news, what's going on, tell me what the, what's popping this
0: week. So, you know, the latest news with regards to free agency, like, yeah, Real Muto signed with the Phillies, but Philly is not exactly going to do amazing things next year but i do want to bring that up because in one of our previous shows we had the phillies finishing uh basically at the bottom Mm -hmm. uh uh, of their division and um dombrowski said that he was going to or at least my friends told me that dombrowski said that he was going to try and move the team towards a rebuilding process which to me made sense uh Mm -hmm. given the state of their farm system given how shallow their big league team is. But Dombrowski also doesn't really know how not to spend, how not to go all in. I mean, he just brought in Real Muto for, what, $115 million? Mm -hmm. So it makes me hesitate. You know, are they going to rebuild while trying to contend? Is Real Muto maybe a piece that they're going to try and build around? How is this exactly going to work? Uh, Because they still have most of their people under contract. They still have issues short, second base, and issues in center field. Uh, But outside that, they kind of have coverage at most positions. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they wanted to go the shortstop route, like say they want to back Didi, okay? Then they just put Segura back at second base. Didi takes shortstop. And then uh, maybe you go with Jackie Bradley Jr. for center field, you know? Um, maybe you bring in James Paxton if that's the route that you're going to go if you make moves like that you're definitely not going to be quite at the bottom of that division you're going to contend so the Real Muto move does give me pause Um, but uh, you know that's that's probably the biggest news uh, of the week from a um, from like a a, a, you know signings that could change things Mm -hmm. aspect uh, there's definitely been other uh, signings. The Twins got Andrelton Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know th- th- That is a big move, by the way, because I think it means officially the Jorge Polanco at shortstop experiment. I think it's over. I think it's completely done. I think that he's never going to be at shortstop ever again. I think he's a terrible defender there. And I think that they were thinking, you know, and I think very obviously – and clearly that this is a great decision because uh, a, I love Simmons and he upgrades their entire defense. Simmons plus Buxton up the middle is insane. It's about as good defensively as any team could ever hope for, but moving Polanco over to second base, he would be a plus defender. Polanco a switch hitter. Uh, him without the juiced ball was not nearly the same guy, but I also don't think that Luis Arias is going to continue to hit uh, against his, um, his handedness. So by being able to go out and throw Polanco in who's a switch hitter and possibly platoon the two of them, I mean, I, maybe Polanco's better side is his right side. I'm actually not sure what his better side is because I just don't really like him as a player, mm. but it, it's possible using him in a platoon with Arias, you you could get something because it's the bottom of your lineup. The guy's going to be getting pitches to hit. Uh, so Simmons, I think, was a great move. Um Of the other moves to happen this week, um, I, I don't consider, uh, the Tigers getting Wilson Ramos, a big move or, or, uh, I really don't even consider that the Cubs getting Jock Peterson, a big move, although technically, yes, he is an upgrade over Kyle Schwarber. I'm just, I'm not the biggest Peterson guy. I don't think he can hit lefties. And I think that it's possible that he's declining in his ability to hit righties, um, There's been rumors of Nolan Arenado going to the Cardinals. That could be big, but nothing has really happened there. Uh, Outside that, the biggest moves of the week have been Daniel Murphy retiring. He had a great career, so hat tip to him. Uh, And the Giants have apparently reached an agreement uh, with Tommy La Stella. So... um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was a very kind of slow week from that perspective. The biggest news outside of, you know, just the humdrum of the offseason, uh, I completed basically all of my offseason work, um, the top 200 projected players for next season, uh, the top remaining free agents on the market, uh, my predictions for each division, my predictions for the World Series matchup and winner, um, everything's spaced out by position. Everything is in order from projected best at their position next year. Uh, as far down as you could go amongst the top 200. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I broke down pitchers by league instead of in order. Um, because I wanted you to get a better idea of what the American league and the national league has specifically pitching wise. Uh, I think it's very important to note the differences, the national league, has a lot more starting pitching Mm -hmm. uh, than than the American League does. Um, But it's also – like and the the reason why I say that is if you're looking at an American League team and the American League team doesn't have four starters, it is three or two, that's not the worst thing in a league that has a lot less effective starters. Uh, I've also broken it down so that when you see those separate leagues, you can see, you know, what – pitchers are on the same team because right now um if everything shakes out in the most perfect way possible with regards to where bauer goes with regards to where paxton goes with regards to uh where possibly kyle Hendricks gets traded to um with regards to all of that if everything just shakes out it's very possible that over 40 around 42 of the top 57 to 59 starting pitchers in the game will belong to a collection of only nine to 11 teams, which I've never seen in my entire life. I've never seen so many top arms belong to so few teams. It, it, it's a, it's a phenomenon and it's kind of wild. So you'll see that in the work that I completed this week. Um, I, I am going to probably find a way to either have it behind a paywall on saber scouts or i'm creating a patreon uh there will be news about this by i think monday's like mid, podcast
1: Mid next podcast? Week. but yeah by like mid next, next week, week. yeah, yeah. Mid, mid next week we could do an announcement or something like
0: that and yeah. yeah 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 and uh all of this will 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 be there for you to find and look at and you know uh, check out but um, it, it, you know it will you know we got to make money somehow so mm-hmm. it, it, there will be a paywall up nothing major so um, this is the first paywall I think I'm, I'm operating so uh, yeah you know we're going to start low and we'll work our way but uh, yes this is some of uh, the best work that I've ever done um, I've been doing uh, top 100s for a few years now I think since about 2017 um, This is the best one Um, I had the last, you know, I had, because of quarantine, I had the ability to look up uh, players who uh, were all throughout the minor leagues. I looked through every single team's top 30 prospects. Uh, I evaluated them on my own video data, everything. So working your way up and seeing how these different guys, their bodies develop and what their approaches look like and how that works together, the tools, and the approach, you know, I, I already developed my, you know, uh, my uh, aging um, theory, which, you know, I think is proven to be if you're just looking at, at ball players, Yeah, it works. Um, but it's different seeing the body develop. It's different seeing the player go from being, you know, 16, 17 years old coming out of the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. uh, and then seeing them go through the minors. Now they get to high A. and Okay. They look a little different. It's double A. Okay. Wow. You get the triple A, you know, so you get to start to see what types of bodies turn into different things. Who's going to lose speed. Who's not going to be able to stay at the position. Uh, And then, you know, with certain sizes, uh, is this somebody who's going to lose coordination, athleticism, whatever, as they age. Um, And I really had enough time to go through every single uh, top prospect list. Uh, from multiple sources as well as a lot of video. Um, And I think, you know, I can now look at guys who are double-A, triple-A level and see whether they're going to be able to contribute this coming season. Like, I'll give you an example. Jared Kelenic of the Seattle Mariners, uh, he's barely played a full season in double-A If that. I don't even think he's played a full season in Um, double-A. Scouting-wise, he's big-league ready. Tools-wise, he's big-league ready. Uh, In terms of you know durability, good muscle on his frame, all those types of things. He's big league ready. Uh, can play corner outfield defense at a big league level. He has the right handedness to come up and be effective. Um, there's no reason why he shouldn't come up and be a factor. But a lot of people have kind of written him off because he hasn't played a full year in double A. So how could he be a big leaguer and doing well this year? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because we didn't have one season last year. If he had had a season last year, he would have played about half the year in double-A, half the year in triple-A. I'm expecting him to start the year in the minors, sure. But by the second half, especially when you got uh, service time issues sorted out, he'll be up. He's going to get over 300 at-bats at the big league level for sure. Uh, And he's a stud, especially uh, he's very polished. He's got the handedness advantage and uh, he's ridiculously strong. I think before the league... You know, knows how to get him out or knows his scouting report, because I, I think it's going to be very hard to get him out uh, unless you got the same handedness going against him. He's going to be an absolute stud. So having the ability to look at those guys and see which guys off of either polish or ability are going to be able to come up and be factors uh, you know, immediately, uh, I think it added on to my, my skill set in previous years of being able to anticipate breakouts through, either progressions or uh, swing changes or approach changes or change in lineup or change in ballpark, change in league. Um, In some cases, if you're in a terrible division, change in division Um, or, you know, uh, the other way around. Um, So factoring all of those things into it, factoring uh, prospects into it, all the guys that are going to come up this year, I think it's the best work that I've ever done. Um, yeah, it's just bar none the best. So, um, I'll definitely be touching on it in podcasts, uh, over, um, on YouTube with, uh, baseball guy, Sean on Mm our, uh, our, our, our weekly shows. So definitely go check that out. Um, but yeah, if you want the full content, it's going to be up on saber in a week or so. About, about two weeks. About two weeks.
1: Give it two weeks. Give it two yeah. weeks.
0: Uh, all right. Well, without further ado, let's get back into our divisional breakdowns. We haven't done one of these in a minute.
1: Uh, we have not. We have not. And I was told, I was given word that we're doing. Which team do you want to start out with?
0: Well, I think we got to start in the American League East, mm-hmm. uh, with probably one of the smartest teams I have ever seen. It's one of the, 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 the top front offices. In baseball, they're great at development. Uh, they're great at assessing players. They, they have uh, an internal group of metrics that are fantastic. They found a way around. Um, look, typically in baseball, to win in you know, the, 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 the big moment, you need to have elite talent. They found a strategy that works its way around that to be able to win mm-hmm. in those big games. It's very hard to sustain that strategy without elite talent but the way that they're doing it through platooning uh, is brilliant. And it looks like it's going to work for at least one more year. And the reason why that's perfect is after one more year, most of their prospects are going to then be up and big league ready. Wander Franco specifically is going to be up and big league ready. And um, I think more of their starting pitching is going to be big league ready. I think they're going to be that much more dangerous once uh they're even through this little period of time, but they, they've built a team that, I mean, they don't, their team doesn't cost anything. They, they're not paying any of their guys anything. And they found a way not just to be effective over the course of a full year, but to also be effective in the moment to moment against elite competition. Um, I'll give you an example of, of how, how they did that. Okay. So sometimes guys who are very polished, Uh, As in, you know, they, they know their swing. They, they have been in the minors, you know, for a while, they've dominated at every level uh, or at least dominated handednesses that they they should righty lefty, you know, Mm -hmm. and they know their approach. They, they know the strike zone. They, they foul off pitches to get to their pitch. They're mistake hitters, sure, but they go righty lefty, righty lefty with them. Um, And by doing that, they take these mistake hitters that are kind of at their peak of their ability and they up the profile by a tiny bit by putting them in against uh, their handedness. So basically, guys who are lefty, instead of having the lefties in against righties and lefties, they're only in against righties. So say they're 20% above league average with their patient profile. Well, now in those big moments, that's playing up to like 30% above league average so in those little moments you know they're able to work the count to get something to hit and then they're able to hit it for power because it's literally the peak of the patient profile which means you're even going to work and you know fight off good pitches to get to something to to hit now it's not a it's not a, a an approach that's sustainable um it, it's an approach that over time you know pitchers will be able to get out right hmm But the way that Tampa Bay was able to deal with that factor was by bringing in guys who had hit at every single level of the minor leagues, even if they weren't top, top prospects. And then they would bring them into the league without the league knowing them. And in their first year, the way the Cardinals do, because the Cardinals do this strategy, where they'll bring in a guy who's really polished in their first year, they'll do great. And sometimes it lasts also into their second year. But it's usually about their first, I'm going to say, 700 at-bats. They, they, they're, they're either great or above average. And then the league figures, you know, okay, that's how you got to get them out. And then the league adjusts, and they become either league average or below. Well, Tampa Bay did this to supplement the platoon bats. And by doing it that way, you would either be facing a guy who – you'd finally be able to, you know, fight, you know, know, he's fighting off pitches, fighting off pitches. You're finally able to get him out. And then the next guy, you don't even know his scouting report and his handedness is different. You think you're going to be able to hit the zones as easily you see. So it, by going back and forth between these types of guys, it messes with pitchers enough that everybody eventually gets a pitch to hit. And when they do guys are hitting for power. And because most of the profiles are patient, there's walks. So the power drives in runs. And that's how they've got it to work. But once the big leagues have adapted to these guys who are basically all polish, no tools, once the big leagues have adapted to, you know, how to get you out as a patient hitter that's already peaked even in that platoon spot and is is declining because you can only be at that level, even you know, in terms of in a platoon way, looking at you know, your, your handedness advantages, you can only be on that level of patience for a limited amount of time if you don't have the tools and skills behind it. It's all off of polish, but Tampa Bay has found a way to balance out their roster in such a way where they're able to, uh, to get it done. And I, I'm gonna give a little bit of screen, a bit of screen share here And I'll I'll give you guys an example of of what they're doing. So Tampa Bay, they brought back Sunino, who's a terrible hitter. But sometimes he goes yard, especially if it's against a lefty. But that's kind of his whole thing. He'll strike out all the time just so he once in a blue moon can go yard. But he's a righty, so he should hit lefties to a closer to league average degree. And that's all he really needs to do is be closer to league average because Zunino's defense is some of the best you will see from a catcher. And they have him in combination with Francisco Mejia, who is a switch hitting catcher, former top prospect. He had a 70 hit tool in the minors, but the shift has really crushed him. He may actually hit. And if, it, if he's not the guy who's going to hit, that's going to stall things for Ronaldo Hernandez. So both of those guys are going to be basically stopgaps, so to speak and you'll have Mejia platooning with Zunino. Usually Mejia will start the game, and then Zunino will probably end the game. I think that's probably how they're going to go, defense to end the game, offense to start the game. Uh, but I think this is all just to give time for uh, Ronaldo Hernandez to develop. And you know, if everything works out, Francisco Mejia, if he starts hitting, that's your future catcher. But I think right now what they're aiming at is some sort of platoon, Uh, like they were doing last year. Um, In the infield, you have Willie Adamas, who he's he's a very aggressive hitter, uh, too aggressive in my opinion, to the point where I don't think he's going to hit righties next year. Strikes out way too much, but he will hit lefties. He does play a good shortstop. He is a decent base runner. um, And there you go. That's your shortstop. That's fine, especially if you have somebody to balance him out later in the lineup, and we'll get into that. Um, at first base, you have G man, who is a lefty and he should be platooning with Yandy Diaz, who is a righty that works perfectly. Um, I, I can't see any issues there. Uh, third base, you got, uh, Michael Brochow, who the league doesn't know yet, and he's going to really hit. And if something starts to fall off with him, you simply platoon him with Joey Wendell lefty, righty, um, at second base, Lowe really had an awful second half last year. He had an absolutely dominant beginning to the year, but uh, it started his fall-off started to look pretty scary. It didn't look like he was going to be like a league average guy. It looked like he was going to be well below league average. So if he starts to fall off, that's not the best. But given that he's your second baseman, you just either replace him with Taylor Walls who can hit a little bit, but is a stud defender, um, especially at second base, or you replace him with Vidal Brujan, who is the prospect, you know, walls is polished. Walls might be able to come up and, you know, especially because the league doesn't know him hit for a little bit and be a good defender. Um, But Brujan is the guy that they are waiting for, you know, him to be ready. So to speak, they're waiting for him to take that next step and hit for a little bit more power because once he does, that's their future at the position. So once again, you have a guy who the league doesn't know, in this case, a switch hitter. So he is going to hit righties and lefties. Uh, You have at third base, a platoon between Wendell and Brochow, righty, lefty. So you're not worried about hitting righties or lefties, another situation like that. At first base, it's Troy and Diaz. So you're not worried about righty or lefty hitting. And if Lowe ends up being the guy, He's a lefty hitter, and Willie Adamas is a righty hitter. So it balances that out. Uh, However, if Adamas isn't the guy, at DH, it's either going to be Tatsugo or it's going to be Meadows. I think at the beginning of the year, it might be Tatsugo. Um, And the reason why like Tatsugo, I think, really falls into this roster perfectly is because if, for whatever reason, Wendell or Choi – stop being able to hit righties, Tatsugo will hit righties, and he can also play first, and he can also play third. So if, if the platoon of Yandy and Choi doesn't work out, Yandy, I know he's going to hit lefties. So you just need somebody to hit righties. You can use Tatsugo in that role. And if Wendell stops being able to be effective as he used to be versus righties, you take him out of that role and you platoon Brochow and Tatsugo or Tsutsugo, I think is how you pronounce it. I've heard it pronounced different ways. Um, Meadows is a stud hitter, and he's a decent defender too. But the problem with him is that he has issues versus lefties, and he has injury issues throughout his career. I think you could really get the most out of him alternating him between DH and and like left field. And I think that works really well because... I think Margot is going to hit enough to when he's not giving Kiermaier a day off in center, I think Margot is going to end up playing left. And that's obviously going to make an insanely good defense because on those days, either Erez is going to be in right field uh, or Erez is going to be at DH and Meadows is going to be in right field. So they're going to have an outstanding outfield defense. Um, but Erez the league still doesn't quite know him. So he's another one of those types, just like Brochow. Margot's breaking out, so that's fair, and he's a leadoff type. So he's not just breaking out. His offensive bar is very low because he's got great defense. He's an insane base runner. If he's just a league average hitter, that's kind of all you need. And honestly, with the lefty-righty balance of this and how you're using him with Tiermeier, you don't even need him to hit league average. You could hit like 5 8% below league average, and he'd still be effective, which is what I think he did last year. So in terms of the way the roster balances out, even if certain options like the more everyday options like say Wendell or Choi don't end up being as effective, they have insurance. With regards to their defense, especially the outfield defense, they have incredible outfield defense. Uh, Kiermaier might be the best defensive player I've seen in center field ever. Like in my in my time of watching center fielders, he might be. Consistently the best. I've seen guys better than him in one year, but I've never seen anybody consistently as good defensively as Kiermaier. And now it's looking like he might start to hit near league average. So this is a very athletic team. This is a team that matches up incredibly well with the platoon. This is a team where the league really doesn't know these guys and they've hit at the highest levels of either the minor leagues or internationally, Tatsugo in Japan. Um, they have a great clubhouse uh, atmosphere, great clubhouse chemistry. Brett Phillips only adds on to that. Um, it's an amazingly athletic, speedy, good defensive, balanced lefty-righty, uh, and very hard to account for offensive and defensive, position player group, really. Um, and looking at their pitching, Look, they got a lot of young hard throwing guys and those guys you know sometimes they'll have good years in the bullpen, sometimes they'll have bad years. They'll figure it out over time typically. Specifically like Castillo, like he was figuring some things out last year but we don't know because the underlying metrics say that there was also some issues. Uh Fairbanks has had some good good, you know, seasons in the minors and now in the big leagues. Um Honeywell, I'm not sure is even a starter anymore. They do have Nick Anderson, who's one of the best relievers in the sport. So they don't really need to worry about the bullpen not having shape. It's more about whoever's doing well on the individual year. Colin Pochet has been very good. Um, you know, even uh, Jordan Yarbrough. All these guys can kind of come in and just kind of slot in uh, to the middle innings, depending on what kind of year they're having. Um, so I do like that that's kind of fluid. Um, And I also like that the Rays have officially announced that while Nick Anderson, many people in fantasy baseball view him as a closer, you shouldn't look, we're not really a fantasy baseball show, you know, but you know, saves are important in fantasy baseball, I guess. Um, But yeah, the Rays have officially announced that they don't want to have your typical bullpen with roles. Um, It's going to be one of those types of things where, Depending on how good a player is doing, they're going to be used in a different spot. So, just because Nick Anderson's the best reliever there, doesn't mean they're not going to use Nick Anderson with the game on the line every time next year. So, it's a dangerous bullpen. It's flexible, it's young, a lot of hard throwers. And then, you know, getting to their rotation, they just keep bringing in guys who are like top notch starting pitching prospects. Uh, Glass now, his ex-fip keeps getting better and better each year. He is uncommon control, but he doesn't have a, a ton of command to go with it for somebody who's six foot nine and throws as hard as he does. If he ever figures out that last step, you know, the command, even gets it to just an average level. He's going to be as good as any pitcher in baseball. I hope Honeywell stays in the rotation because believe it or not, you, Chris, you're going to, you're going to go like, dude, Brent Honeywell is a screwball pitcher. When was the last time we saw a screwball pitcher? Before I was born, that's for sure. Like, I can't remember ever seeing somebody who can throw the screwball. Now, Honeywell had uh, some arm troubles, obviously, because, you know, it, it's, it's tough to throw the screwball without messing up your elbow. Uh, but I think he might be back from them. I don't know if they're going to try him in the rotation, If they do, it's probably going to be towards the back end. Yes, Blake Snell is gone, but they got so many kids that are going to be in there. Uh, Shane McClanahan is a guy, starting pitching prospect, who they've been bringing up. He's a top 100 guy or a borderline, depending on what list you use. Uh, Brendan McKay, his analytics showed that he was starting to really make some moves as a starting pitcher. I don't think that you're going to see him this year. If you do see him, it's going to be at the very end. Uh, But I had to mention him just because you got to understand this is a team that's constantly evolving. They have probably the best minor league system in all of baseball. And yet they have guys who are also growing at the big league level. Um, Now I kind of wanted to bring this guy up like last. So I guess, you know, okay, I'll go with Waka first, and then I'll bring up this guy. Um, Waka is a really good arm for them because he can provide innings at the back of their rotation, but also he's a two-pitch pitcher. So come playoff time, you can move him to the bullpen and you have another surefire stud reliever because two-pitch pitchers, when they move to the bullpen, they gain velocity and there's a bigger differential between their two pitches. He's also six foot six, which always helps. Um, so the bullpen in the playoffs, should they get there, they'll, they'll get there, um, should be elite with Anderson and Waka and all of these middle Middle arms like uh, Yarbrough, Poche, um, Fairbanks, um, even Chirinos, to be fair. Um, But the one guy that I want to bring the most attention to of every pitcher they have, like Glass now is mind-blowingly cool to watch. Six foot nine, and he throws that hard, always in the strike zone, even though he doesn't quite have command. Uh, That control for that height and velocity is awesome. Uh, McClanahan's young and exciting. I, I'm not sure I'm a, the biggest fan of him yet, but I want to see what he has to offer. Um, to shame, McKay's not going to be pitching because um, I really do like him. But the guy I've been like waiting to talk about is the guy that they got back in the Blake Snell move, Luis Patino. He has an absolutely electric arm. My only worry is the peripherals of him coming up from the minors show that they moved him very quickly. The Padres moved him very, very quickly, and it might have been too quickly. That being said, um, the, 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 the Rays are a team that every single year is able to piece things together. I think Yarborough at the beginning of the year Uh, might be in the rotation. I think they'll probably go with an opener strategy for one of their spots. I think they'll have Glass now and uh, maybe McClanahan and Waka. Or if it's not McClanahan, uh, it'll be Honeywell versus McClanahan, you know? And that's how they'll go about their rotation at the beginning of the year. But I think that they see something in Patino. One thing that, you know, everybody says is don't trade with the Rays because they'll always win. Um, If what they see in Patino is that he's figured out control command with his stuff, he's a big league ace. Um, My worry is that the peripherals do show that he's been rushed. Um, I think Tampa Bay overall is a second half team with regards to pitching, but a first half team with regards to their offense. So overall, they are going to be a very dangerous team. I'm curious how their offense is going to hold up over the course of a full year in those big games. I'm curious whether people will get exposed when it's not a 60 game season with this strategy. Um, Overall, I'm not the kind of, uh, I'm not a believer of patient approaches working versus higher levels of pitching, but I am a believer of if you don't know the guy's scouting report and he's polished and he's performed in in AAA, you know, not going to miss pitches. He's going to kill you. He's going to kill you in the short term until you get the scouting report. Um, So it's – Tampa Bay is a frustrating team, man. It's beautiful to watch them get these guys and them develop and, you know, how they have this low payroll and the strategy is beautiful. But it's frustrating because the players that they use in their strategy are not guys that are going to work long term. So even though you're seeing them succeed, it's kind of like, yeah, but in a couple of years, no one's going to know the people in the lineup. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping for the sake of, of Tampa Bay and the sake of Tampa Bay fans, uh, however few there are, sorry, but you guys got the, 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 the fewest fans in baseball, you guys need more fans for the quality of team that you have for the quality of front office you have. You need, you need a lot more fans. Um, if I'm a Tampa Bay fan, I want to see the prospects come up. I'm excited that they have this strategy. I like how it works. I like how it works against the big teams. I like how it works in the big moments. That's awesome. But I, I want to see people who will actually stick around and stay good for a while. If I'm a Tampa Bay fan, I want to see like my next Carl Crawford's or Longoria's or Upton's or, or what have you. Um, that would be a lot more exciting than the merry-go-round that we've been on the last couple of years. But it works. Tampa Bay wins over 90 games a year. Uh, a lot of the time they finish out ahead of the Yankees, out ahead of Boston. Teams that can spend a lot more out ahead of the the Jays. So um, Tampa Bay overall is one of the smartest teams in baseball. Um, I do see people from their front office join all sorts of other front offices like the Dodgers, uh, like the um, – the Blue Jays, um, uh, the the, the Red Sox, you know, specifically the GMs of the Red Sox and Friedman with the Dodgers. I don't know if he's still their GM. I'm going to have to recheck that. But they have one of the best front offices. It communicates really well with the scouting department, communicates really well with the coaching staff, communicates really well with the players, Uh, great player development, great management with contracts. Everything works together. It's like a perfect puzzle. And I just, I I tip my hat to them. Um, They're one of the only teams that as a Yankee fan with as good as my Yankees are going to be over the next few years, they actually scare me. Because they know how to strategize on a level that very few other teams can even operate on. So as far as I'm concerned, they will be the second place team in that division based off of everything that has happened in baseball up until this day. I don't really have much changes in any of my projections, really. Like, if we're looking at the, you know, when I said the, the Phillies are going to be at the bottom, I think the Phillies, because of their Real Muto move, are about tied with the Marlins. But, again, like, that doesn't move them out of the spot that they're currently in. So, thankfully, all of our projections are still holding up. And that brings me to the National League. I was talking about the Phillies. That segues us right in to the National League East, uh, the, the, the second-place team in that division. Now, I knew this was going to be controversial. Um, last week, I talked about the Braves as the third-place team in that division. And that bothered a lot of people because the Braves have been doing really good. the Braves got drew smiley and Charlie Morton this offseason. And they got the kids coming up. They got Contreras who will probably see a lot of this season at catcher because Travis Darno is injury prone. I think Darno is probably gonna get about 95 games with like the remaining uh, 67 games going to uh, Contreras. Um, that sounds about right. Actually. Yeah. Um, Somewhere like 65 to 70 something uh, games going uh, to Contreras, uh, and they are going to be bringing up uh, Christian Pache for the outfield, as well as I'm expecting Drew Waters to be up. I mean, I don't know why they'd move on from Adam Duval if they weren't thinking about committing time to them, both of them. Last time Drew Waters played, he was in Double A. He did pretty good. Uh, 2020, he would have been ticketed for Triple A in theory. Uh, And there was the alternate site. So it's not like he's not playing or progressing. So looking at that team, the Braves have a great base running squad. They have a great defense, right? They have rookies at most positions or people who are still growing into their own spots. This is why the Washington nationals are better next year than the Atlanta Braves. Now, This one shocks a lot of people because it's just like they were just so ready for the Braves to just take over. And it was just to be, oh, year after year. But the Braves haven't made any sort of offensive moves. They're going to massively upgrade them next year. They're going from Marcelo Zuna as a DH to pitchers hitting. They have rookies at catcher for a good portion of the season, center field and left field. Looking at the Washington Nationals, this is the Nationals roster right here. They have the best hitter in baseball who's now moving to right field because they've brought in Kyle Schwarber, okay? So you have uh, Drew Waters who's never played in the big leagues. There wasn't a AAA season, so you're essentially bringing him up from A to the big leagues even with progression versus Kyle Schwarber who was progressing, getting better in each of his big league seasons until the juiced ball went away last year. And the the season was short. like The season was ridiculously short. Um, In the second half of 2019, Schwarber broke out. He turned into an utter monster. You can go check the splits Mm -hmm. on fan graphs. He was like 50% above league average. Total monster, okay? Juice Ball goes away, and he starts to have a little bit of trouble. As a guy with his amount of bat speed from obvious physical strength, Guys who have his bat speed and patient approach, their swings take a while to come into form, usually they're second-half players. That, I think, is the case with Schwarber. As a guy who consistently was 20% plus above league average uh, in the minors, actually a lot more than that, and who in 2019 was 20% above league average in the majors, I think at minimum that's what you're going to see. I think there's a high chance that you see something bigger than that. There's a reason why Kyle Schwarber signed a one-year deal. He's about to show the entire league that he's worth a lot more than that. then he's going to go on the open market and he's going to make a lot of money. I don't know if I'd say Schwarber is going to be like 35% above league average or even above 30. But do I think he could be about 27, 28% above league average? Do I think he could hit about 35 bombs? Yes. Do I think you could absolutely torch righties? Yes. Is his defense that great? No, but you have Victor Robles, who statistically is the, well, I still think Kiermaier is the best. And I keep saying that on a year-to-year basis, maybe there's somebody who could be better than Kiermaier defensively one year or two years in a row. Well, statistically speaking, Victor Robles is there. So even though Schwarber doesn't have the greatest defense, you can hide him to a certain degree in left field because you have Robles. Now Robles was one of the best prospects in all baseball. And he was rushed to the big leagues and he's had really rough years. His first few years, like his first year, he had barely any playing time. He went off, but it's been a straight decline since he's come up to the show. That being said, his tools are there. He was one of the best prospects in baseball, top five in all of baseball for years on end. He's hit at the high minors. I've seen him in the Arizona Fall League. He's got a very side-to-side swing. I don't think he's going to hit for much power. I think what he should concentrate on is hitting the ball on the ground and running. He's ridiculously fast. And I think as a righty, especially at this stage in his career, I think he'll hit lefties. Not great, but he'll hit them. And I think he's going to need somebody to compliment him who's a lefty who has trouble versus righties or rather a lefty who has trouble versus lefties uh, who hits righties. My bad. Sorry. Cause if, if Robles hits lefties and the other uh, and he's a righty and the other guys, a lefty who hit, you know, or God, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing this up. I'm tired of <laughs> it. Robles, who is a righty yes. can't hit righties as a righty. Cause righty on righty, the advantage goes to the pitcher. If Robles then can only hit lefties that can work with his defense and base running at the bottom of the lineup. So long as you have in a different part of the lineup, likely back to back with him, somebody who then is a lefty who has trouble versus lefties and hits righties because Robles won't hit righties and he'll cover the guy versus lefties. Um, And of course, you know, that the fact that Robles is such a great defensive and base running factor in such a, a key position, and the fact that I think that Soto's even better defensively if you put him in right field. I think you can really hide Schwarber, and both of them are lefties, so that's cool in terms of at least looking at this initially, in terms of balancing things out. Um, looking at shortstop, Trey Turner just went off, had breakout season offensively. He's a righty, so that works. I think honestly, if you're if you're if you're matching guys up, Trey Turner. In front of Soto lefty right or righty lefty works really well uh because Trey Turner gets on base for Soto to drive in Trey Turner is a righty to Soto's lefty and both of them get on base for the rest of the lineup so Turner is one of my favorite players in the sport uh he has the same exact skill set that I had when I was a player except I hated playing shortstop I loved playing center field but that's where Turner played his first season he was in center so like whatever Anyway, I love Turner, okay? I, I, I love him more than I even, like, should love the guy because he's, he's, a, he's a decent defender, but I love him because, like, he plays my positions and he has my skill set. So, uh. But, um, yes, he's, he's one of the better players in the league, even just taking my bias uh, out of it. Um, now, I want to work our way around the, the whole Josh Harrison uh, uh, key boom situation. For just one second, um, Gomes is a guy who has played catcher for 100, 110 games a season multiple times in the last few years. And they think now that he can be their everyday guy. He's lowered his strikeout rate for three years in a row. And StatCast says his batting average and on base percentage and slugging are all real, specifically the batting average and slugging. Um, If that's the case, he's always been one of the catchers who had one of the best arms of any catcher in the sport. If they get a proper backup for him, really anyone to back him up, that is a good everyday player at catcher. They got Josh Bell, who I think Josh Bell will hit righties. I I don't know about hitting lefties. I do know he's a guy who progresses over the full year, and you weren't able to really see him at his best at any point last year. You look at the month-by-month month divides, he did get better each month. Um, if you have him from the left side platooning with Zimmerman from the right side, Zimmerman's going to torch lefties. Bell's going to hit righties. Zimmerman's going to get the late game because Zimmerman can play defense. Bell can't. Um, but that's going to give you at least 30-plus homers coming from that position between the two of them. I, I'm going to guess around 30, 30, 32 homers between the two of them. So you have a 20-homer catcher. I'd say 16 to 22-homer catcher, somewhere in there. You have a 30-homer first baseman. You have a 30-homer left fielder, probably like almost 40-homer right fielder. You have Turner, who's now probably about a 25-home run guy and a speedster. And you also have Robles, who is a speedster. Uh, You can kind of put him at the bottom of the order as well. Now, here's why I wanted to take a minute to work around to the Kibum-Harrison situation. Kibum was not hitting at the big league level for one main reason. He is a guy who, when he came up to, to AAA and was hitting, that was when the juiced ball was in the league. OK, so I don't think he actually was able to hit in triple A without the juice ball. I don't think he was big league ready at that point in time. Now, he's a couple of years older uh, and I love his swing. It's very clean with swing mechanics. I think he could be big league ready with the right amount of lineup protection. Fortunately, he would be batting eighth for this team or seventh or eighth, seventh or eighth, one or the other. So he could really, you know, settle into a spot uh, with, you know, the, the pitcher's probably going to be batting eighth, and you're probably going to have Victor Robles bat ninth. Um, now, if you put him in that role, I think by the end of the year, Key Boom's probably going to be hitting. Uh, he is a guy who was a college bat. I don't think he's going to have problems with the strike zone or making contact or hitting the ball for doubles power. Could be better than that. Um, they've been developing him for a while. And that's kind of the thing that the Nationals do is they focus on a guy and they develop him and then they bring him up and he's a stud, whether it's Soto or Harper, uh, Strasburg, uh, um, you know, this, it's kind of the, their way of going about things. It. just the next guy, uh, Turner, really, they got him from the Padres and they helped them through a few things. Um, So I think Keeboom's really going to help lengthen that lineup, and I think he's a lot better hitter than people give him credit for. And I think he'll probably take over third base and be an above-average defender there as well. Harrison, however, last year and also historically, whenever he's been giving a lineup with protection, he's been able to hit either at or around league average. Harrison also can play basically every position I mean, I wouldn't put him at short or center, although it's interesting in center, maybe. I love him in left. I love him in right. He's a stud defender in both. He's a stud uh, defender at second and he can play third. So he offers versatility and there's value in that, sure. He's a fantastic base runner, although he doesn't get on base a ton. And that's because of his approach. He's got a very aggressive approach. That's why lineup protection helps him so much, but when you're playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Detroit Tigers, you're not really going to get much lineup protection. And when you're used in platoons, you're not going to play enough to be effective. Um, he's figured out a way to hit righties and hit lefties. Now the Nationals, they're a scouting heavy team. It's part of the reason that they were able to identify him. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's part of the reason why they liked Howie Kendrick so much, but uh, that you know he was multi positional although he was not a good defender. He was a much better hitter than Harrison. The scouts kind of identified that. Harrison, if you gave him lineup protection, which they gave him, the scouts identified would be about a league average hitter, which with his versatility and with his base running makes him a very valuable player. But to break things down further, he has a very distinctly separate approach versus righties versus lefties. Against righties, he's a power hitter who doesn't strike out much and is very aggressive. Versus lefties, he gets on base more. He's a little more patient, and he hits for a much higher batting average. So versus lefties, you use Harrison as a leadoff type. Versus righties, you put him at the back of the middle of the order or to turn the lineup over. And he is a very good base runner once again. So when you add his base running and hitting ability to Keboom was a decent base runner to Robles, who was a great base runner to Trey Turner. Who's one of the best base running threats in the league. They have a plus base running group as well, a better base running group than the Braves do while the Braves do have the defensive advantage on the nationals. The nationals are much better at power hitting and they have a much more veteran club, a club that is uh, balanced and lefty, righty, uh, has lots of power. Um, been there, done that, you know. Whereas the Braves have a rookie at catcher, very possibly rookies in left and center field. They have um, a guy who's still adjusting to the big leagues at third base in Austin Riley. They are going from having Ozuna, who was 79% above league average, batted 338 with an on base percentage of 431 to a pitcher batting in that spot whereas the Nationals are basically upgrading at nearly every position. And then that brings me to the starting rotation. So, yes, the Braves have Freed and Smiley, who's very similar. Uh, They have Ian Anderson, and they have uh, um, Charlie Morton, and then guys like Soroka. I'm not as big on the rest of them, but they have those big four. The Nationals have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasberg, Patrick Corbin. And while they don't have a four as good as Drew Smiley, John Lester is not ridiculously far off. And in terms of must-win games and giving you more for-sure innings, I actually like him as much as Drew Smiley in the must-win games. And in terms of giving you more innings, I like him more than Drew Smiley. I just mm-hmm. like Drew Smiley's... ERA on a start-to-start basis better than John Lester. It's just Lester in the big games is about as good as Smiley can be. So overall, I think the the, the the heart of these staffs is either a wash or you have to lean nationals because these guys have been there, done that, and have done it on this high, high level for basically their whole careers in the case of the top four, really, even if you're having guys like Corbin take a little step back and guys like Lester take a bigger step back. Um, I think guys like Fed and Voth would make great relievers by the time the playoffs come around. I think Daniel Johnson is a fantastic closer, although I think Hand will probably push him out of that role. So John, uh, Daniel or Daniel Johnson? What Daniel Hudson. I was talking about Daniel Johnson the other day. He's a outfielder for Cleveland. Daniel Hudson will be a great closer for them, although I think that. Hand will probably push him out of that role. There's also the very real possibility that they use Harris and Hand in the middle innings as firemen, along with Kyle Kyle Finnegan, who I guess is the brother of Brandon Finnegan. That's interesting. I got to check that out. Mm -hmm. And Wander Suero, who has a lot of potential. Uh, I think, to be honest, by the end of the season, uh, Jackson Rutledge will join them. But uh, I also think that... um, you know, this even this bullpen, even without Jackson Rutledge, uh, his presence is a good bullpen. It's just more along the lines of, you know, Hudson gets the empty inning in the ninth. Uh, Harris versus mainly righties. If it's a bunch of righties coming up in an inning hand versus mainly lefties, it's a bunch of lefties coming up in an inning. Swero, just to kind of see how he is, use him ver- in, in, in empty innings at the beginning of the year, uh, see what he has and then come playoffs. Fed and Voth are also going to make outstanding relievers. So you'll have a collection of about six guys back there, which is all you really need. Maybe somebody steps it up from the rest to be your seventh. But I think that's a good bullpen. I think it's a bullpen that uh, with Harris in hand versus, you know, with the Braves, they have Will Smith. Um, They have, um, yeah, I know, Will Smith, right? Not the catcher, Will Smith, the. The reliever Will Smith, um, and not the Fresh Prince Be- uh, of Bel Air, Will Smith. I was about to say, I'm like, um,
1: I'm like, dude, tell them not the Fresh Prince,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, Jiggy Witted, nah, 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 yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, and, and you know, the Braves also have Chris Martin, who is not Coldplay singer Chris Martin, but a different Chris Martin. Um, my goodness, what is going on? You know, are we talking music now? You know, anyway, what. what but yeah uh, the Braves they they have those two guys whereas the Nationals have Harris in hand Um, and that's not even talking about the fact that you know their closer is Hudson so I think that in terms of the bullpen they match up very evenly as well if you're just looking at the lineup it's very obviously the Nationals Uh, if you're looking at with the Braves it's, it's Acuna I love him it's Freeman who just won MVP it's Travis no, but he never makes it past, like, 110 games. He's always he always gets hurt. And his replacement is Wilson Contreras, mm. who, like, has never played above, above, like, high A, maybe double A. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, not Wilson Contreras, William Contreras. Just to – I, I want to clarify there. He, they're brothers. He's the younger brother of the Cubs catcher who's currently on the trade market. So, and that's another idea. Could you imagine – if they dealt for the brother and they had him compete for the starting role in a couple of years when, when William was up, that'd be wild. That's I don't wild. think it's happening, but point is is that Darno's a great player uh, as is Acuna and Freeman, but Darno has injury issues. Albies is a great player, but he's better used as like a leadoff type because he has issues when batting from the left side. He's a lot better from the right side. Not to say he's bad from the left side, but He's not impactful consistently uh, from the left side in terms of driving in runs. Mm -hmm. And uh, you then don't want people on base for him consistently to drive in because batting lefty is his primary. As a switch hitter, you mainly bat lefty. So you're going to want Albies at the top of your lineup. Swanson just pulled off the best BSR in all of baseball in you know, the shortened season. So you're also going to want him batting second. So you go lefty, righty there. Third is Freddie Freeman. Fourth is Ronald Acuna Jr. Fifth is Travis Darno. So, okay, there you have Darno. But the bottom of their lineup is Austin Riley, who is probably the 18th or 19th best third baseman in baseball. He's not a bad hitter but he's far back at the position. And then behind Riley, you have like Drew Waters and Pache who are rookies and you have the pitcher. That's not good. (laughs) That's like 3.5 spots in your batting order that are a little scary. Um, And in the national league, you know, or in, in any league, really, in the, ma- in the major leagues, if you have that many pieces missing, you're going to be at a disadvantage. If you're looking at the Nationals, that's one hitter, catcher. Between the two of these guys, that's a really good hitter. But, you know, even just looking at Bell, the regular, that's a good hitter. Uh, Harrison with lineup protection is a really good top of the lineup or buffer bottom of the lineup guy. Uh, if Again, you have to lose, use him with lineup protection, but they have lineup protection. Keyboom, he's a guy who's hit at the minor leagues and, you know, yes, the juiced ball really ha- it kind of stunted him with regards to uh, helping him grow and become a big leaguer. Uh, but he should hit by the by the the second half of next year. T- Trey Turner and Juan Soto are two of the most productive uh, offensive forces in Major League Baseball. Com- comparing t- what Trey Turner does offensively and what Freddie Freeman, and, and or, uh, comparing Trey Turner, what he does offensively, and what... Um, Ronald Acuna does offensively. They contribute in different ways. Acuna has more power, less speed, and less contact. But I'd say that's a wash overall, just looking at the offense, Uh, especially with what Trey Turner has now become. Freddie Freeman in his MVP year versus Juan Soto, that's also about a wash offensively. So you look at the rest of the lineup, Swanson, Travis Dardone, Albies versus... Schwarber versus Bell versus actually, you know, like, like, like Gomes and Harrison and Keyboom. Yes, Harrison's a rookie. Just like, you know, multiple people on the Braves are rookies, right? But it becomes a problem when you have like three rookies or multiple rookies. If you're hiding a guy in your lineup who's the rookie, that can work. So, um, yeah, I think they're a faster team. I think they're, uh, well, no. I think it's about even in terms of speed because the Braves bottom of the lineup evens out the speed advantages that the Nationals have at the top. But the Nationals outdistance the Braves with regards to power hitting throughout their lineup. And they also outdistance themselves with regards to, you know, like on base percentage, getting on base, walking, because these guys are veterans, very young group with regards to the Braves. I think it's very clear that. The advantage offensively is the Nationals. I think the advantage defensively is the Braves. Yeah, advantage offensively Nationals, advantage defensively Braves, pitching wash-leaning Nationals. Uh, and in the regular season, offense is what wins you uh, well, enough games to get to the playoffs. It's never pitching. Um, primary example is how many of these years have the Mets had great pitching and can't do very much. And how many of the years had the Yankees had, you know, Sheffield, Soriano, Jeter, Arod, Matsui, Giambi, and they'd win 100 games but not do anything in the playoffs. Uh, offense works in the regular season. So that's why I think that The Nationals have a a much bigger advantage than is perceived over the Braves. Uh, The offensive advantage is massive and the pitching advantage is slight. It's basically a wash. Um, Should these teams face off in the playoffs, it would be a lot closer because a lot of the Braves rookies would have been developed and the hitting advantage would be a lot closer. But given that, that's going to take a full year to happen. And given that during that period of time, it's also very possible that Keeboom and uh, Robles, who's been at the big leagues for a few years, could take next steps, could take the the, the, the steps forward that they need to uh, really be who they were as prospects. Um, because that's kind of the whole thing. Prospects can take time to develop. So just because Pache and Waters are up doesn't mean that they're going to do anything. Both of them, their offensive profiles scare me to death for the beginning of their career. And to be honest, so does Victor Robles in center field for the nationals. The only thing I want to say there though, is he Keboom doesn't Keyboom's offensive profile does not scare me. And Victor Robles, we at least know that he can give you the best or I don't want to say the best, but some of the best, like tied for the best defense in center field in the big leagues, right up there with Kiermaier, at least at this defensive peak. And at least we know he's also an uh, elite base runner, which is not something that we can say 100% for sure with the Braves guys. Although I'd like to say when you know they were doing d listers, which is the best defensive players at each position in the minor leagues, Pache was always considered to be like the best defensive center fielder in the minors. It's just different seeing it in the big leagues. I- I'm excited. And that kind of defense usually transitions. But Robles has already done it like on the level that like you're hoping Pache does, that you think Pache will do. He's already done it. So it's just for sure, you know, the, the, the guarantees, the, 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 the probability of a positive outcome is massively higher for the majority of the Nationals hitters, and they're massively more powerful. So overall, offensively, uh, the Nationals better than the Braves. And pitching wise, uh, I think that they're right there with them. I also don't think that the Nationals' offseason is over, and they could bring back Sean Doolittle to add yet another arm to that bullpen. Um, all in all, the Nationals are one of the best scouting teams in Major League Baseball. And uh, I gotta say, like I, of of if, if you asked me, okay, James, you know what teams would you love to work for? Nationals are in my top five Mm. because they look at information out there. That's analytical through a scouting lens. So they're able to look at guys for what they are and say, Hey, if we change this about them, their ballpark, their lineup, you know, whether it's lineup protection, smaller ballpark, bigger ballpark for some guys, um, it will change what they do. And with guys like John Lester, like, Okay, not a lot of people value John Lester because he's not that good anymore. But in big games, he's still pretty good. And he goes a lot of innings. So behind the big three aces that they have, it's a perfect fourth guy. Uh, I just think that the Nationals are thinking about baseball in terms of what's enough to get us to the dance, a.k.a. the playoffs. And also enough, enough of, uh, of an advantage once we're there for us to then push towards a World Series. Um, I really like what they're doing. I really like um, the Nationals team, the way they put together their teams. Uh, And I think they're one of the 10 smartest front offices in Major League Baseball. I think they're right there with Tampa Bay, but they think about things in a different way than Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is all about money management. They're all about um, getting guys who will contribute when you add up their production enough to be right there with the league leaders. Tampa Bay is about, you know, is this a guy who's going to be able to be, you know, good against higher levels of pitching, but it's more important that he's also good, you know, versus you know, during the whole entire season. And we're going to have a very typical righty lefty mix where the nationals don't really seem afraid to go get guys who are aggressive, bad ball hitters to go get guys who are like really good on, at running the bases, to go get guys that are at completely different stages of their career, uh, to go get guys who have been in the big leagues for a very long time and just not trusted with an everyday role and being like, you know what, we think you can do this. Like, I'm sorry, that kind of out of the box thinking is brilliant if it works. If it doesn't work, it means you're crazy. <laughs> but if it works, it means you're a genius. So um and it's been working for the Nationals now ever since they had enough money to do it which I think also coincided with the change in uh front office they had a a reshuffle if you will and honestly mm-hmm. uh, with the the Nationals won the World Series in 2019 so the mere fact that they're finding a way to get back in it basically around like five guys Corbin Scherzer Strasburg uh soto and turner the fact that they're literally putting themselves back in contention just around five guys and they're able to do it they're brilliant they're a brilliant team they're a brilliant organization and i'm just kind of excited to see what's going to happen over the next few years because they don't have a farm system they don't have very many prospects at all if any so are they going to continue to try and win with this group or are they going to fire sale And if they do try to win with this group continuously, could it actually work? Because right now it's looking like it is. So I don't know. I think they're absolutely fascinating. I think they're a really fun team to watch. Uh, I think they're going to be in the playoffs next year. Um, Yeah, they're one of my favorite teams in baseball, just bar none.
1: You're always great. Dude,
0: <laughs> and those are the teams. I mean, like the only other thing I'll say is that of the guys who are not on the top 100 prospect lists mm. as far as pitchers go, yeah, talk about that. They have one guy. I mentioned him earlier. He'll be up, I think, late season to to beef up their bullpen to help mm. with you know when Fed and Boss go there in the playoffs. I think this guy's going to jump in and he's going to make their pen even better. His name is Jackson Rutledge. Okay. When you're looking at minor league starters who are not on the top 100 prospects and never were, okay, there is only one other guy in the minors who throws anywhere as hard as this guy, who has a secondary pitch, who has a third pitch, meaning they're possibly long-term starting pitcher, and has some measure of control command, meaning they can work with what they have and possibly get things to work. Uh, more effectively in game. Because it's one thing to have a pitch that moves a lot, right? It's a whole other thing to be able to spot it, use it when you want, where you want. And that's Luis Medina of the Yankees. Both of these guys throw triple-digit stuff, or, or if they're not in the triple digits, it's above 97. So um, with the way that the Nationals do like bringing along guys, which is they focus all their attention on one at a time, Possible that this year it's Kiboom, that next year it's Rutledge, that the year after it's Luis Garcia, and that the year after that it's Mendoza, who's uh, that first base prospect that they ended up getting in the draft. Although, to be completely fair, Mendoza's very polished, so I could see him very possibly uh, exchanging spots with Luis Garcia. I'm not really that much of a Luis Garcia fan. Uh, middle infielder reminds me of Unil Escobar but without like the beautiful swing that Escobar had but kind of like the profile not the greatest defensively um, can play the position uh, seen as a guy who's got good tools it won't show up low on base percentage workable batting average borderlining slugging percentage. Um, I don't think that that's what you want if you're the Nationals and you're trying to compete. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe it ends up being this year, Key Boom comes in and really becomes a middle-of-the-order force. Mm-hmm. That's possible by the end of the year, at least. I don't think he's going to have it over the full year. He's not on my top 200, for instance. But I do think that you know second half of the season, he could do well enough that he'll make the 2022 list um so yeah he'll be a second he'll be a you know a good hitter middle of the order guy by the playoffs key boom um and then you look at okay maybe next year it's it's either you know rutledge or or maybe it's robles and the year after maybe it's garcia or maybe it's mendoza so if you're a nationals fan and you're looking forward to the future definitely definitely look towards those guys and also if you're a Rays fan and you've hung on to the end of this video thank you (laughs) first off but I, I, I want to really mention uh, the Rays have the number one prospect in major league baseball. His name is Wander Franco. The power hitting switch hitting shortstop does not strike out. I do have a little bit of worry uh, about his ability to hit for power at the higher levels of the minors. I think you'll probably have to change his approach at least from the left side, uh, be okay with pulling the ball and, and sacrificing some contact to do so. But that's literally my only concern with Wander Franco. He's a fantastic player. Uh, In all the minors, I think the only better players, at least in terms of my opinion, uh, Adley, because he's a switch hitting catcher, middle of the order guy. Um, Jason Dominguez, the Martian. I I don't even have to say anything. Um, And probably Julio Rodriguez. I really am big on Julio Rodriguez. Right fielder, uh, decent defender out there, but the bat is going to be incredible. Uh, Those are the only guys that I like better than Wander Franco uh, as far as prospects go. But like, I'm the minority. Most people like Wander Franco by far better than any prospect in baseball. They compare him to Hanley Ramirez, you know, the guy who I think one year Hanley, he stole 51 bases and hit 29 home runs. So that's insane from shortstop. Um, Yeah. So, uh, both of these organizations are are absolutely brilliant. And, um, if something goes wrong with, uh, either of the first place teams, which, uh, come from the same city and it's pretty obvious to tell them, I mean, we've done the rest of, uh, the divisions. So you'll have to go through, you know, our previous videos and, uh, see which ones, you know, you got to eliminate to find out our first team, but I think it's pretty obvious to be honest. Um, if either of those teams slip, which they have a history of getting injured and slipping, both the Nationals and the Rays do have the ability to take over first. I just, I think this year it's not nearly as possible as it would have been in previous years. I think the first place teams in those divisions are absolute juggernauts. So definitely tune in next week when we talk about them. It's going to be a fun, fun, uh, I mean, look, it's going to be one of our podcasts. We've never talked about just one city for a whole podcast with regards to baseball. And it's technically, yeah, dude, it's going to be, it's going to be an awesome show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we're going to finish up with our uh, usual uh, two songs in a show. So Chris, you start us off.
1: So right before this, when we were talking, James went ahead and introduced me to a new song. I I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, I can't keep up with the songs anymore. Um, it's why I have James here, you know, feeding all me all right, the good music.
0: I, and... I, it, when I'm not looking up baseball statistics, which is most of the time, I'm finding I'm finding music. So,
1: and so he played for me "Kill Me Better" by Don Diablo. And there's two there's two different ones. There's uh the Don Diablo uh VIP mix, and there's the Travis Barker um alt verse and the travis barker one's dope it's it's really dope and then so i haven't really revealed this on the podcast um but i told james last week i i am trying to learn japanese um and so the best way to learn japanese maybe i have said this before but the best way to learn a new language is to completely immerse yourself in all things and everything yeah having to do with that language so i found this really like it's it's like a beat like almost lo-fi-ish kind of i can't really describe what it's like but it's called omewamo uh, omewamo i'm how you probably i'm probably pronouncing it completely wrong how do you spell and it i look like an idiot it's uh o-m-a-e space w-a space m-o-u um, but when you actually write it out, I believe the U has an accent over. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah over the top yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, and it's by multiple different artists. I think there's like multiple different takes on it and stuff like that. Um, but it's a really cool like if you're working and stuff like that and everything um, and you just need music to play in the background. Um, it's it's a cool song. What and about you? Do
0: you? you got a show?
1: Oh, do I have a show? So yeah. I mean along those lines, <laughs> along those lines, I've been watching the anime Fire Force um in Ooh. strictly in Japanese, uh, which Ooh. is also amazing, completely
0: amazing. Um, hey, look, I that's look, have you have you ever seen Dragon Ball Z in, in Japanese?
1: I, I have. It's amazing. You oh you, my goodness. <laughs> it's literally amazing. Oh. <laughs>
0: It's so fantastic. Most people don't know that, like, I think Goku's original voice actor is a girl.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a woman. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah she killed yeah. it. She absolutely killed it. No, she murdered it. it. She
1: completely yeah. murdered it. Like, it's crazy. No, I'll but- use,
0: uh, I, I could use Dragon Ball Z as a show, but I, I, I'm going to use a Gretzko. Talking about animes, talking about mm. you know, the Japanese culture, mm. you, know, you know, and all that. A Gretzko is a fantastic show. It's on Netflix. Um, it's very, like, normal persony. And if you're, if you have a busy life and you don't have time for 40 minute shows, 30 something minute shows, each episode is like 15 minutes. So um, it's kind of cute. And if you add up all the episodes, it's basically like a movie length mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of like a rom-com, but it's like an animated rom-com and it's hilarious. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. I don't really like rom-coms. It's not really my thing, but it's adorable and I love it. So <laughs> definitely check that out. Um, for my songs. I guess it's all Japanese today. Um, oh, no. My first, my first <laughs> I, song. I feel like I always set on, the tune. Right? <laughs> like, yo, like, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, no, the first song, I actually had this chosen before uh, the show, so, like, this is completely unplanned. Uh, it's called Tokyo Drifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Glass Animals and Denzel Curry, who's always entertaining.
1: It, it, this uh, is actually completely unplanned. It, this was yeah. not planned.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a great track. So yeah, Tokyo Drifting, Glass Animals, Denzel Curry, and then there's this other track that I discovered recently by like one of my like favorite new artists. Like everything he releases, I have to check it out because like he's, he's good. He's really good. His name's Justin Jay. And him and this other guy, Josh Taylor, they've worked before. Um, They collab on this song called No Chance. Um, And the one that I was listening to is called No Chance Edit. Um, Definitely check out both of those songs. They're completely different vibes from each other. Mm -hmm. But they're fantastic. And I think you'll love them. And I think that wraps us our show for this week. So (laughs) there we go. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, definitely like, definitely subscribe. And if you have uh, any disagreements, uh, definitely jump in the comments. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down to defend why Josh Harrison is one of the most underrated players mm-hmm. in Major League Baseball. I'm down to defend why Kibum is probably big league ready at this point in time or will be by the second half. Uh, let's get it. You know, let's talk about uh, why Tampa Bay, um, you know, isn't a first place team. If you think that they're, they're going to overtake the Yankees and that the Yankees moves are nothing. Like, all right, let's get into it. I'll see you there. Just, uh, yeah. And uh, also, you know, like, I, I never really, I, I wanted to jump into this at some point in time, but like, yo, like, <laughs> come Morty. on, man. Yeah, like, dude. <laughs> this is like one of my favorite hoodies i haven't even got the chance to show chris it but like yeah just so like everybody can see watch this show too definitely do that great three, show. three shows for the price of one yeah three shows for the price of one i mean like the shirt the, you know the shirt's speaking for me there we go watch the show <laughs> uh, it's uh, too much too much next week we'll see you next week. later everyone goodbye